Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study. As we continue through the book of Exodus, the life of Moses, whatever you want to call it, we're going to continue that today. And today we have come through the Red Sea. We're going to start with a little praise service and then things turn bad, which is going to be somewhat common for Israel in these early days after the Red Sea. And so uh, let's just dive right into this study. This week's study, we're going to be in Exodus 15 and 16. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 15 to start today. Exodus 15. And we're going to, we finished up last week. They had crossed the Red Sea. They first they had complained because they said you should have just left us in Egypt, and I, I guess I get it. I mean, you, you're facing the Red Sea. They don't have three thousand years of history like we do to realize. Oh, you're going to be crossing that in just a few minutes. They had no idea. To them, it was impending death. If we go that way, we're dead. If we stay here, we're dead because here comes Pharaoh and he's crazy. We have nowhere to go, and so they're they should have known. The God who just did 10 plagues is still your God, but they, they, they didn't. And Moses, in, in, to his credit, still continued to keep his eyes on God. Moses is a great example here. Even today, I want you to watch, if you're a parent in here, you, you have kids that you're taking care of, you've ever been frustrated with your kids, watch how Moses handles the children of Israel. It's, it is a good, I'm not going to make a ton of application towards the parenting aspect of it, but as a parent, watch how Moses handles the complaining children of Israel. And then think about how we handle complaining children. And see, um, there's some lessons in there, I think, for parenting that I may make some application of, but not too much, but I want you to be aware of that. But Moses continued to keep faith last week and they ended up the miracle that we all know about and at the very end in, in it's verse 31 it says and israel saw the great work which the lord did upon the egyptians i'm in chapter 14 now at the very end of that one it says and the people feared the lord and believed the lord and his servant moses so there was quite a change from verse 31 than what we saw early on in this book but it's ended with victory. They watched Pharaoh and his army come through. The water came back down, destroyed all of them. And now they again have seen God protect them. So they've watched the 10 plagues. Now they've watched this miracle. They're on the other side. Now their hearts are full of faith. Moses had faith the whole time. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he had faith the whole time. Now their hearts are filled with faith. Now you come to chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Then sang Moses. We didn't know Moses could sing as well, along with all this other stuff. But Moses begins to be a song leader to about 2 million people. It says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. He has chosen captains. They also drown in the Red Sea. It doesn't have the kind of the rhyming of amazing grace. You know, it's a little bit different, but 
Moses' song was a little bit historical. He's, it's funny as you read this, you feel like you're reading a piece of history, and it's actually a song that they were singing. I'm sure it sounded a lot better in the Hebrew, maybe, than in our English. I'm not going to try to sing it for you today because I would have no idea how this all fits together. But they're basically singing about what God has done. The, the, the danger that they were in, how God has protected them. But they have all come together in, in singing this song. But then look at verse 20, and I want to make some comments on that in a second. But verse 20, Miriam, she's going to gather the ladies together. So Moses and all the children of Israel are singing. And then Miriam grabs the ladies and says, The prophetess and the sister of Aaron took a timbrel with her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. So here comes Miriam singing with the ladies. They grab some musical instruments. They begin to dance. Aaron's going to show us the dances that they were doing. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, right? No, no, please no. Please no. Please no. That would kill the spirit in here so fast. But but they're, they're singing and they're dancing. But what is going on? It's they're just relieved. They're just full of praise because they just watched God rescue them from death. And, and the application here, I think, for us is this. This morning, we're going to leave here and we're going to go over to the church service. And you're going to have a bad song leader stand up and say, if you want a hymn book, turn to this. If not, it's on the overhead. And then we're all going to sing. And we're going to sing, hopefully, from hearts of praise because we have been redeemed. We've been, we've been rescued from something um, more than just a physical death. We've been redeemed from hell, from the lake of fire. But what happens is, and we're going to see this happen to the children of Israel, if you've been saved for some time, sometimes we lose that praise. We lose that, that awe of what's happening. And we settle into, well, yeah, I know. And I, just, I know this song. It's Victory in Jesus. Let's just sing it out. I heard it a little story. And we forget about what we're singing. Brian preached a good message several years ago about singing. And he made mention of a lot of times we look at singing and we look at the people that are on the stage as the performers. Like in congregational singing, you think, well, uh, our pastor at the piano or the song leader, they're, they're, the, they're the performers and we're all just joining them. No, no, we're all singing, performing to God. The audience is God. And so when we sing today, it's not like, oh, that person next to me may hear me. Who cares? We're, it, you sing from the heart. That's where the songs come from. And so sometimes... In the message, I remember my brother speaking, I don't remember the text, but it was a good message. But it was, he correlated these two things. When we can't sing from the heart, there's usually something going on in our heart spiritually. And it's usually something there between God. Because, yes, I do, I, I know there's an awkward, like right now, if I were to like, oh, I'm going to sing a victory in Jesus for it, I would mess up totally. I mean, absolutely off key. I would be in 15 different keys. Remember being at PCC, and I've told you probably, but I had to sing "Lord, I Need You" in front of college students, and I had to act like they were little kids and be like, "All right, guys, I'm going to sing you this song." And it was called child evangelism. So you're learning how to teach children. They said, "All right," I was a freshman, and I had upper class, and like, just act like these guys are, just act like they're kids, and teach them how to sing "Lord, I Need You." And I was like, "What?" So I'm going, "All right, guys, we can sing "Lord, I Need You." Ready? I picked the song myself. 
And I, and I got into, Lord, I need you. If you know that song, it gets high. And I didn't realize that. Bullets of sweat. I mean, I was sweating. I was so embarrassed. I hate singing in front of people, number one. Unless I have like two or three other people with me. So I was scared to death. So it's not like in that moment I was thinking, I just don't want to praise God. No, I, there are insecurities that you have. But you know that feeling when you're so overwhelmed with praise and who God is and what he's done that you can't help but sing. And when you had all kinds of people singing with you, as they did here, it ought to just pour out of us. And so there ought to be a spirit of praise. And, and so often the distance between us and maybe the last answer of prayer, the distance between us and our salvation sadly can dampen our praise to where we no longer sing with as much heart. And sometimes the familiarity that we have with some of the songs, and it's not the song's fault, it's not the old hymn's fault, or it's not a new song's fault, it may just be our heart. So a lot of times when you feel like, I have no song, examine your heart. But these people in this moment, though I read a quote and all my notes that I had didn't sync to my iPad today, so they're at my home on the computer, which is fine. But I had a quote from Spurgeon, where Spurgeon was still kind of hard on these people. He said, hey... They're singing from praise, but they still don't fully believe. Now, I think Spurgeon was writing, knowing what's coming up in the next chapter a little bit. And we have that advantage of knowing what's coming. I think in the moment, though, they were just relieved and they were thankful and they showed it in their praise. And I hope that when we go out there in just a little bit, whatever songs that we sing, that we sing from that heart of praise. But how soon things can change. Because look at verse 23. In verse 23 says, when they came to Mara, that word means bitter, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And Moses, to his credit, immediately, he says, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, there he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. You know what that word proved means, right? The word proved means test in our old English. So you see that word proved, most of the time it means to test. And here he was testing his people. And he said in verse 26, And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. So here God makes them a promise. And he's saying to them, he's, you got to think about how God is taking. He's taking these people that were in bondage, and now he's help, he wants them to grow. He's going to prove them to help them to grow. It's a picture of us. It's the same thing that happens in our life. When you get saved, God is going to constantly prove and test and refine to help you to grow. As Romans 8 says, he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son, into, the, into Jesus Christ. To do that, it's going to take some pain. Just like if some of you get a New Year's resolution, which I'm working, I don't know where the New Year's resolution is, but I've had it in my, hind, my head multiple times. All right, I've got to get serious about health. I mean, I'm 42 years, going to be 42 years old in a couple of weeks. I've got to get serious about health next year. Of course, that's a normal thought in December. They'll be gone by February, but it's there. 
And so there's some things I was thinking about. One of them is I'd like to get sleep because last night, that may just be because last night we did not get any sleep. And so I'm dead tired. And I'm like, you know what? Eight hour sleep is a good thing. You always feel good. And it's important when you get older. But I'm thinking about all of these these health things. Where was I going with all that? Anyways, but um, but we get these, This where was I going with all that? Why? That's why you don't, I got going down this road of, of, of my health. But, um, oh, where was I going to go with that? Anyways, but you, you, but let's just get back to the story because I have no idea where I was going with that. If I get back to that, we'll get back to that and check with me in February to see if I kept there. But, but they, everything was going great, and when things were going great, they're giving praise. But now all of a sudden, they're facing some some difficulties, and they went right back into murmuring. That's what I was saying. So God wanted to grow them, and God wanted to test them. And tests are going to go through difficult times, just like if I wanted to get healthy. It's going to be moments where it's difficult. It's like when I, if I were to set out for that first run or first whatever, uh, trying to eat healthy, when I'm sitting there looking at a salad instead of looking at McDonald's chicken nuggets, which I love, okay? Well, sorry, forgive me, hate me, I don't care. I love get a little barbecue or get some sweet and sour, it's all great. But um, if I were to look at a salad, there's going to be moments of pain, moments of frustration, moments, and then I go out for that first run or I go for the first exercise. There's going to be moments like, I don't want to do this. I can sit on the couch and turn on Netflix. There's pain in getting better. It's like that. If you're going to lift weights, there's pain in working. You're going to be sore afterwards because growth always involves some proving or some pain. Same thing for the children of Israel. God was going to prove them or test them because he wanted them to grow. Same thing for you spiritually. You're like, you know what? I really want to get closer to God. Okay, you're going to have some tests. You're going to have some, te- some of the tests are going to come from God. Some of the tests are going to be Satan or satanic stuff. You're, some of it's going to be your flesh that doesn't want you to do some of those things. So, but, but growth is going to have tests. And so God's going to test them. And one of the first tests came in just like three days when they were singing praise. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, we don't have any water. They took a big drink and it was bitter and they started to complain. Well, this is terrible. We, what are you doing here, Moses? And Moses, to his credit, immediately went and cried unto God. And God gave him another miracle. He cast that tree in. Everything seems to be good. But God was proving them. And he said, if you will just keep my commandments, you're not going to face any of the diseases that you just saw me put on the Egyptians. So they moved from Elam. And in verse 27, it's the only verse we get. And it says, and they move on to, from Mara to Elam. It says, and they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees, which in the desert is probably pretty comfortable. And they encamped there by the waters. That's the only verse we get about Elam. You know what in Elam? They faced no challenges. They had everything they wanted. They had the palm trees for shade. They had the waters for drink. They had everything that they wanted. But they had no challenges, but there are also no stories of growth, no stories of victory. And sometimes the, the God will provide what we need because he knows we need it. But as you're going to see in chapter 16, he's going to move us along. Because you know what? It can get really comfortable. It can get really comfortable when I'm sitting on that couch and, oh, I've been healthy all day. And I know there's chocolate chip cookies in the, in the cupboard. And I'm like, you know what? I've been a pretty good guy. And it's really comfortable to just sit there with some milk and some cookies and start eating and forget about your health. They got comfortable when they had everything that they needed right here, but God was going to continue to test them. That's part of the Christian life as well. God is going to constantly try to prune out and, and try to take, help us in areas where we, 
where we need to grow and we need to trust him. And so look at chapter 16. It says, and they took their journey. So they left Elam. They were there for some time, but you can't stay there. They got to get to the promised land. They took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin. It's not like sin as in we would talk about. It's not like the, oh, they're in the wilderness of doing bad things. It's just what it was called. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day in the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Boy, they're back to this now. Here they are, the same things they said before. When we sat by the flesh pot, so they're thinking back to the food that they least had. When we did eat bread and, the, and were full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yep, they got Moses. That was his goal the whole time. Let me take two million people in the wilderness and kill you all. Yep, that was his plan. No, but they're being foolish, saying hateful things because they, they're hungry. We ever been there before? You know that Snickers commercial? There's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? But uh, when, you're, when you're hungry, you can get that way. But, um, but they're hungry. They don't know what's going to happen. They're afraid that they're going to die. And so they're just taking it all out on Moses. And I think the, there's several things can be said about murmuring. But usually, here's what we find. You find in the Bible. Murmuring comes from an, a, an immature, from, from a Christian perspective, from a Christian that needs to grow, from an immature Christian. Just like kids. You know, well, us adults do it a lot of times, but you know, kids going to complain. You tell them no about something, they whine, they complain, they throw a fit. Why? Because they're immature and they're kids. But why do we as adults do it? A lot of times as Christians, we're immature and not strong in our faith. Because it's not ever a picture of someone walking in the Spirit. Murmuring and complaining is always a picture of someone walking in the flesh. And so you think about over in the, the book of Philippians, it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's what the Bible says. If you go down through the fruit of the Spirit, not a one of the fruit of the Spirit or anything to do with murmuring or complaining, but love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, all of those are things that promote the opposite of murmuring and complaining. But we've probably all been there and we've met people that it seems like their life goal is to just murmur and complain about everything. They love it. And so that's why sometimes we, we, we check those Amazon reviews or restaurant reviews about everything. But I always say, I'm going to comment to Michelle, if I, probably usually if I really want to go to that restaurant, but I'll be like, oh, there's always complainers everywhere. They complain about everything, so who cares? You almost got to not look at the one stars. They're the habitual complainers. Be careful the five stars because they're related to the people that work there. Find those three stars. If you find those three stars, then they are going to give you some truth and some in between. But there's some people, they just complain. And you know what? It's not just unsaved people. There's Christians too. They have to complain about everything. I was, this just came to my mind. I was sitting by, this is not a complaining story about this person at all. But I was sitting by Lydia at our Tuesday, or, yeah, Tuesday Thanksgiving service. And her phone was turned up. Where is my phone, by the way? But her phone was turned up. Not that I need mine. I'd just like to know where it is. But uh, thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm glad you guys are here because I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Anyways, Lydia's phone. Lydia, 
That happens to me way too much. And I told her I was going to have some airhead moments today because I didn't get a lot of sleep, and there's one of them. But, but Lydia's phone was turned over like this, and I saw the verse. She had a verse on her phone. It was a verse from Proverbs I was familiar with, and it says, it said, says something, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it memorized, but um, where there is no ox, the crib is clean. But without the ox, oh, and I just lost it right there, but with the ox comes strength or something like that. So the idea behind that verse is, yeah, if you have no oxen, your property is going to be pretty clean. You don't have the mud and the nasty. Kind of think of us, if there's no pigs, you know what pigs look like, then you're going to have pretty clean property and all that's going to be together. But without those ox, you can't plow your fields in their day. You need the ox. So you, the idea behind that proverb is you got to put up with some mess to get the profit of having an ox. It's a basic principle. It was one I didn't expect a teenage girl to have on her phone. But I was like, I noticed your, I wasn't looking at your stuff, but I noticed your phone. Why did you pick that verse? I mean, I like that verse. But the reason I thought about it is I used that verse when I went to Madison to that church. It was a church of about 40 older people and very few children. And they were saying, we don't want children. They dirty the church. They dirty the bathrooms. They throw their gum into the seats. And they, they said about 100 reasons why they didn't want kids. So I went right to that verse. And I shared about that verse before they voted me in. Because I was saying, if I'm coming here, I'm not coming here just to find people that are 80 and older to raise start a church. We're going to start a bus mission. And thankfully, they all but one complainer took it well. And, and they understood that we have, with much children, it's going to come some mess, and it's going to come some broken things and pulled fire alarms, which happen quite often, and, and a lot of things like that. But it is the strength of the future of the church. And so I used that verse. But I remember this one lady would complain and complain every time. That's why I got here. It was a sweet lady, but whenever it came to something like that, she would complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. And it was, a, it, it was an area that just needed growth in her life. And she later came and apologized and said, you know what, I now see the importance of this. And when she did that, not that she needed to apologize to me, but I saw a whole spirit change in her. But there was a, just a root of complaining in her. Godly lady helped her husband, and who never was a pastor, but they started multiple churches. I mean, helped like the helping of starting multiple churches but just a spirit of complaining in that lady that later changed. And she was probably 70-some years old. And so complaining is such a devastating thing that we can overlook and say, well, I've got a reason to complain. They're dirty in the church, or this has happened like this. There's, yes, there may seem like reasons, but it comes from a spirit of immaturity. And that's what was going on here with these Israelites. They're, they're, they knew the power of God, but they weren't depending on the power of God and they were not they were depending on self they they came out because of the power of god but they were expecting everything to just work for them right now that's not how it goes and so but to moses's credit as i said to you parents at the beginning even though they're complaining moses isn't spazzing out you know when our kids complain sometimes we just it causes us to flip out not what moses is doing moses is taking everything to god and so Moses has taken this to God in verse 4. It says, then said, Moses into the Lord, then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather certain rate every day, that I may prove them. Here we go again. Whether they will walk in my law or not. That's all God cares about. Like, think about this. I'm sidetracked here, so forgive me. I don't, I don't have to get through this chapter. God's not talking about their complaining. 
Why? Like, that's all I would talk about. And so if I was God, I'm like, hey, Moses, tell these guys to be quiet. They're just whining and complaining. I'm tired of it. I've done this. I've done this. That's how we parent sometimes too, isn't it? Stop your whining and complaining. We've done this, this, this. Whoa, hold on a second. I'm not saying we don't correct complaining. Don't get me wrong on this. It's not a parenting lesson. It shouldn't be. Because I do think we have to correct that stuff. But notice how God handles them. God is concerned with the growth. So he says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to help you. Doesn't mean you give your kids the candy bars they want. Okay, don't make that application. He said, I'm going to give you this, but I want, I'm going to give you a test. I want to prove you. He wants. To, he says, I want to see if you're going to walk in my law or not. God could have corrected some of this complaining, and he will down the road. But he's wanting them to grow. He's wanting them to get to the place where they themselves are choosing not to complain. And so he's going to give them what they're requesting. He said, I'm going to give you some things to help, but I'm going to prove them to see if they're going to walk in my law or not. And it says, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, at even, at even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They should know that already, but he's saying, we're going to remind you what God has done with another miracle. And in the morning... Then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him. So notice the murmuring is against God, really. You may take it against Moses, but it's against God. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses spake unto Aaron, say unto all the congregation of children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Let's just read through verse 15 and then make some comments. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmuring. So now he's, he's speaking to them again. I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speaking to them, saying, At even ye shall eat the flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. It's later going to be called manna. You guys have heard that. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass at the evening that the quails came and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone upon it, behold, the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing. As small as a hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, which means, What is it? For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, It is bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. So God gives them some instructions. You're going you're to, each day, you're going to be given this bread in the morning. You get up and you gather enough for you, your family. You gather this bread. Don't leave it there. You gather it in the morning. You're going to get some meat at night from this quail. And it's going to happen for six days on the, on the seventh day, because that's their Sabbath in the Bible times there in the Old Testament. On the Sabbath, you're not to collect, so you need to get twice as much as you're going to need in the evening of the sixth day, and you're going to have it for the next day. Now, I read through it pretty, pretty fast. I had to, it kind of gets a little bit scattered there, but that's the basics of the, what he's given them to do. I'm going to provide what you need. God is our provider. But you need to follow these instructions. So, again, you would think this is pretty simple, okay? We whined and complained. God didn't strike us dead. He gave us, he's given us some bread. He's given us some meat. Just do what God said. But 
They still didn't do it. Still didn't do it. And I want to get frustrated with them, and then I think, was there ever a time this last week that I know what God wants me to do and I didn't do it? Because it should seem simple, right? God's blessed your life. God's taking care of you. He's provided in difficult times and good times. Just, just obey God 100%. Did I obey God 100% this week? 99%. Messed up one time. No, I didn't. Did you obey God 100% of the time this week? No. So it's easy to, to sit at these people and get frustrated. But we didn't always obey God 100% either. And so that next morning, Moses had said, verse 19, Let no man leave it till the morning. No, no, look at verse 20. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left it out until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. So even though they had the instructions, some of them still chose not to obey. Isn't that kind of typical of us? Sometimes we know what God wants us to do, but sometimes we don't. And then later on, they, they, God was continuing to provide in verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See that, because they were going out on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. So they have the Sabbath. They've known that's the Sabbath, but they're going out on the Sabbath. And they're collecting like they weren't supposed to. And so God is trying to get through to them again, saying, How long is this going to happen? God was providing them manna, which over in John chapter 6, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the bread? And then they were all coming to him, they wanted it. And he said, hey, Moses provided you with bread in the Old Testament. But he says, I am the bread of life. And when he was used talking about the bread of life, he was referencing back to this moment. And that picture is that he is life. He is the sustainer. He's everything that we need. And that's the truth. That's, it's one of the truths that we need to be taking from this passage is, Yes, he was providing for the Israelites in that moment. But the lesson for us is this. We've got to constantly be dependent upon God. Daily, they had to go out and get their provision. You know what we need to do daily? Daily, we need to get our provision of God, some time with God. Every day, they were responsible to do that. Every morning, they had to go out, get up, get out. They had to gather their stuff. They had to bring it back enough to sustain them for the day. Every day... You and I need to be in the Word of God, getting the Word of God, which he says, remember, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is our spiritual food. Yes, today we're going to hear, you're hearing a lesson right now. So maybe you're getting a meal right now, maybe. In a little bit, you're going to hear a message from my dad. So you're going to have another meal. But I doubt any of us are going to live all week. We could live, but I'm saying we're going to expect to live all week on just eating today for lunch and then eating tonight for dinner, and then we're not going to eat all week long unless you're just one of those crazy people that are trying to get your health corrected really quick. It's not going to happen. We're going to eat all week. The same thing spiritually. You don't just come to church on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night or whatever and just say, hey, I got fed. I'm going to continue. No, God wants us daily to go and take as much as we need. And God says, I'm here. You need me, I'm here. We can cry out to God every day. It's not just, hey, I went and prayed at the altar on Sunday. No, pray to him tomorrow. Make an altar in your home. Pray to him. Pray and go get into his word and read it. He says daily. I heard a message recently by Scott Pauley when he was emphasizing in a passage similar to this how they were to daily get their food. Daily, daily, daily. And he was driving home the point that I'm trying to drive home right now that daily we need to go to God. Every day. 
It's just not something that, well, teachers or preachers say, every day you need to be in the Bible, and we're like, oh, I've heard that my entire life. It's, it's actually true, because this is the life. This is the, the book that God has given us to help us grow. That's exactly what he wants these people to do. He wants them to grow, and he says, I'm giving you a law. They didn't have the Bible then. He said, I'm giving you a law. Here's what I want you to do. Well, God has given us a law. He's given us what he wants to do, so daily we get in it. And uh, I hope that you spend some time with him. It doesn't matter the amount. Uh, you're like, well, how much should I read every day? I don't know. I mean, there's some people like to say, well, read three chapters a day. It doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say read three chapters a day. George Mueller used to read. He'd say, I would read until, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, until I had a good morning in his word. So he said, sometimes that'd be two hours. Sometimes it could be 15 minutes. But until I've had a good morning in his word. Now, sometimes if I want to play devil's advocate, I'm like, yeah, George Mueller didn't have TVs back then, and he didn't have all this, but he had eight orphanages, and he wrote, I think, 60,000 letters a week. I mean, the guy was had a lot going on. But he said, I don't get up until I've had a good morning with God. So in this lesson, yes, we could talk about the murmuring, but I think the murmuring and all of that comes from when we don't have a good time with God when we're not maturing as Christians. And so maybe as we wrap this up, take some time today, and it's an e this is an easy time. I know it's a holiday season, so we think, oh, that's, it's a time of great joy, but it is also a time of a lot of murmuring in the holidays. Why? Because we're with the people that we murmur around the most, our family. And, and so it's, it's an easy time to get in a bad habit of murmuring. But I hope that maybe... How in God and His sovereignty, allowing this lesson to happen in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that maybe make us more sensitive to when we start murmuring. You're like, I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that Israelite thing. Probably just a note to husbands in there. When your wife, if she does start murmuring, it's probably not a good thing to be like, you're murmuring right now. Doesn't go well. All right, it probably won't go well. You ladies can try that with your husbands. It probably won't go well either. But it's something that every one of us need to have on the just the forefront of our mind is. Am I a murmurer? Because it's never, it's never honored by God. It always is corrected by God. And so next week we'll continue there. It, I wish I could say it got better for Israel, but they're going to continue down this path over the next uh, little bit. But, um, but they're growing and God is proving them. And I think God's doing that in my life and I think he's doing it in your life as well. Let's pray.